How are we doing? Hey, it's February, right? That's right. We have that terrible holiday, Valentine's Day, in front of us. We, well, can we really sing to somebody just said? Single, wait, say it again. Single Awareness Day. Woo! Yeah. Valentine's Day, man, come on. It's one of these things created to put a lot of pressure on dudes to buy gifts you're not going to like. And like, it's Valentine's Day, man. The only time Valentine's Day is good is when you're a kid. Yeah. Right? Because you get yeah. candy. Yeah. Right? And anytime you can get candy, it's good. I, I remember when I was a kid in elementary school, uh, and I don't know if they do this anymore. Little because shoeboxes? Where you like decorate oh, them and yeah, then you get yeah. the, y'all know what I'm talking about? So they so still the do cards? that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, yeah. I was afraid there might be a lot of microaggression involved. <laughs> <laughs> like somebody's offended by candy or something. I'm sorry. I'm about to rant. Yeah. I'm, gonna I'm gonna pull it back. But but we would you would we would go to Kmart or Walmart and you would buy the cheapest box of Valentines and you would exchange them and reciprocate. Like they would give you back a Valentine. You and, always and had I, your eye on like one person. Oh, you were always, like done in that always. You had that one Valentine that set one aside. That one set aside. Yeah, you were, yeah. And I, so I got you guys a Valentine. Yeah, I know, right? You, and I know you probably didn't get me one, but. So, and, and did, in the didn't. box, <laughs> in the box there was always one for the teacher, right? And so since you guys are teaching today, Joel, I got you Spider-Man. Teacher, Teacher you're uh, my yeah. hero. Oh, Joel. Yikes. Man, that hurt me. And, and Chip. So sweet. Chip, uh, I got you the Disney princess. <laughs> there are a lot of ways I saw my first time up here going. Not, this, this, this was, was not, not one. one. Was, yeah. yeah. But, but so. So nice. When we're, I had this friend in uh, elementary school and even up to middle school, which is kind of weird, he was a weird dude a little bit anyway, he gave me the same Valentine every year. Don't worry, I got you guys one too. It's the same one he would give me every year, and it's this. Wooden shoe. Wooden shoe, wooden shoe, like to be my Valentine. I feel like you would love I that love one, Chip. That. Right now listen, listen. That's right up my alley. I know, like, like for some reason, every year somehow he ended up, he would give me the same, it's a cheap, tiny little paper thing. Every year, even up through middle school. And I happened to track it down online. This was the Valentine. And I'm gonna caution you right now, don't Google retro Valentines, because some of them are creepy, right? As evidence <laughs> by that. But, but here's what happens. We will uh, let the culture define love for us. And in this way that it gets distorted from what it should have been, that love is this thing where we do something and we expect the same in return. And at some point, we just run up against, I'm not going that far. Right, And so that's the wrong definition of love, and I think sometimes Valentine's Day plays into that. But here's what's great. In front of us today is a text in which Jesus is going to redefine yeah. love Can I, can I say this? Open your Bibles to John 13. There we go. I've been wanting to say that one for a while. <laughs> yes. Man, this group right here is really happy you to be came, in the room. came to participate today. I like it. So Jesus. Have, have we introduced Chip? No, yeah. we haven't. We Introduce him. Yeah. 
Um, so I'm Joel. I'm one of the pastors here at our church. If I, I know there's probably people in the room uh, who've never been here before, and you're like, why are three people up on the stage? We get that question like every week. Um, a lot of times you'll see me and Vic. Vic is our college pastor here at our church. You'll see us up here teaching. And this week we said, Chip, we want you up here with us. It's about time. Uh, I'm not sure how far down the list they had to go before yeah, I got the call. Yeah, it was but, significantly yeah, far. I would yeah. imagine. Um, but uh, Chip has grown up at our church, and uh, we've seen him grow, love the Lord, follow him, and uh, he's, he's a great teacher, and we're excited to have him here with us. So Yeah, and so, uh, quick little insight into Watkinsville. We talk about making wholehearted followers. Uh, Joel, several years ago, identified a little sixth grader that he wanted to try and make into a wholehearted follower of Jesus. And what is it now, like eight years later, here I am. So Joel mentored wow. me all through middle school and high school. Uh, and somehow I Close haven't scared him years. away yet. Plus to 10 years. Yeah, man. yeah, wow. yeah. I'm not majoring in math. But uh, so I'm up here today. All I ask is whatever heresy comes out of my mouth, just please it's, keep it in this room. It's my Don't fault. tell Carlos. <laughs> my and, fault. And it is your fault. Yeah, yeah. We've it's already established. Joel. Yeah. Excellent. So we're, we're here, we're going to be doing this with you this morning. We're in a series called New Life. It's in the Gospel of John. We've been studying through that. We're trying to kind of catch you up here. We're to John chapter 13. And if, you, if you're like, is this like a TV series where I don't know, like, you know, if I've missed all of it, I don't know what's going to, you know, like I, I can't keep up with it today. No, not at all. Um, we're going to jump in. And you're going to hear from Jesus, from his very heart. You're going to see him in action. This is, this is so good. All right, so John chapter 13. Chip already said, open your Bible. Got that covered. Verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of, out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. I'll just come, let's just set it up first, give you a little context. That's verse one and two that kind of help us know what's, what's about to happen. Right, and, and so he gives us actually in the first verse this backdrop for what's going to happen in the rest of this book, the Gospel of John. He tells us, he reminds us that it is the Passover. This is the third time the Passover has popped up in the Gospel of John. And the Passover was this massive celebration that would last a week where the Jews would gather in Jerusalem. They would celebrate God delivering them from slavery and bondage in Egypt and bringing them into the promised land. And Passover is the backdrop and the, and the actual setting for what's going to happen the rest of the way. And then we have this uh, Jesus knew his hour had come. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about the reality that Jesus in the Gospel of John up through the first 11 chapters kept saying, the hour is not yet. The hour is not yet. It wasn't time. And then in John 12, he announces the hour has come. And the hour refers to his death on our behalf. So you have that in play in the rest of the Gospel of John. And then you have uh, what we're going to really focus on this morning this idea that having loved his own, and then at the end of verse one, he loved them to the end. And really what saturates the atmosphere of the Gospel of John from this point on is this idea that Jesus loves in a way that is beyond anything this world has ever seen. Then in verse two, we have Judas. 
And everyone is kind of familiar with that story about Judas, right? We know what's about to happen. We know that Judas is going to betray him. But Jesus also knows this. We see that later in this chapter. Jesus knows Judas is going to betray him. Uh, John is saying this. There's already a course that's been set for Judas. And we don't know exactly why Judas is at this point. We don't know what drove him to this point. But we do know that... um, he got pretty upset just one chapter before in, in chapter 12 when Mary comes and anoints the feet of Jesus. You remember when Judas stood up and he said, what's she doing? This is a waste. Look, that ointment, that oil that she used, we could have sold that and we could have used that for the poor. At least that's what he says out loud. Yeah. But in his heart, and that's what they comment on in that chapter, they say in his heart, he actually wanted to keep it for himself. So maybe Judas is kind of hung up on this fact that like, you know, he didn't get his cut of that expensive ointment. Maybe Judas is just hung up on the fact that Jesus has just entered Jerusalem and instead of coming in on a war horse, he comes in on the colt, a little donkey. And and Judas is probably thinking, come on. We've been with you year after year in your ministry, Jesus. And, and look, if you can bring the dead back to life, why don't we do something a lot bigger? I mean, come on. Yeah. And so, but I don't know. These are my guesses. Why Judas could have been here. But, he, but here he is. And He's been influenced by Satan to, to right. start down this road to betray Jesus. And, and the influence is, is a key there. So what Satan does is he will gradually redirect our affection away from God toward something else. And what happens over time is we are led astray by him. His influence over us increases. So to to the point we're gonna see tragically at the end of our text today what happens to Judas. And so anytime you give a foothold and and move a step further away from God, the influence of the enemy increases over you. And, And that's... We, we don't know what it was with Judas. Possibly greed. Probably greed. Uh, because John tells us that he used to help himself to, what well, he was the keeper of the money. But whatever it was, he allows the influence of Satan to increase and increase in his life until you, we'll see in a moment the, the tragic end for Judas. Verse 3, it says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, he rose from supper. He laid aside his garments and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. And then he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and wiped them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet. Except for his feet, but it is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you, for he knew who was to betray him. That is why he said, not all of you are clean. Yeah, and uh, growing up in the church, I, was, I always understood this text 
to be exemplary. Jesus washed his disciples' feet, go wash other people's feet. And, and there's definitely an element of that, and we'll get to that in a minute. But first and foremost, remember, this is the Passover, and Jesus is saying the hour has come. So our, our first and primary understanding of this text has to be Jesus is referencing what he's going to do on the cross. Yeah. And so this is a picture of the gospel. Um, and, and Peter's response is all of our response. I love Peter. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, if you don't love Peter yet, you, you aren't familiar enough with him. He is just as schizophrenic as the rest of us. <laughs> on, on one hand, we hear him saying the truth of Jesus being the Messiah, and Jesus is like, yeah, God told you that. And then the other hand, he's denying Jesus and pushing back against the gospel. I mean, he's just, he's all over the place. Uh, And here we see Jesus initiating a washing of the feet, which is remarkable in and of itself. Keep in mind, when Jesus washes us, he initiates, okay? We don't move towards him. He first moves towards us. And that's the offense of the gospel is that it insinuates we are dirty. Mm. Jesus going before the disciples, disrobing like a slave, like a Gentile slave in this culture. The Gentile slaves, not not even the Jewish slaves, would have been the ones to wash the feet. But Jesus comes before them and says, you're dirty but I will wash you. And that's the offense of the gospel, that we need washing, and the beauty of the gospel is that Jesus is willing to do the washing himself. And look at Peter's pushback. Verse six, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answers him, what I'm doing you do not understand. Which is shocking, Shocker, right? right? Because we, we've, Peter would always get it, right? No, if you've tracked with us very long, you understand Peter is a master of, of missing the point. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so Peter is. He's, he thinks that, um, hey, Jesus, um, let, just wash all of me. And Jesus, here's what he's saying. And, and what Chip's getting at is that Jesus is saying, what I'm doing for you right now is a picture of what I'm going to do for you on the cross. Yeah. And what I'm going to do on the cross is something only I can do. You, you can't go and do what I'm going to do on the cross. Why? As Chip just pointed out, because we're sinful. We haven't lived the life that, that's required. And, and Jesus does that for us. He lives the life we should have lived. And then he goes to the cross. And he dies the death we should have died, right? That's the gospel message. And so it's all summed up in here. That's what's so beautiful about this story is it's much bigger than just, you know, an event that you would think, here's one thing that kind of leads up to the cross. Here's one of those events in the, in the um, you know, the Passover week that leads to that. This is a foreshadow. It's a picture. It's Jesus showing his disciples, this is what I'm about to do for you. This is how great a love I have for you. I mean, look, kind of, you have to step back for a second to verse three, just this idea that Jesus knowing that the father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. So here is the creator, the one who spoke the world into existence. And he takes off his outer garments (laughs) and strips down to a loincloth. I mean, the disciples had to be so uncomfortable, right? At this point, like, and and I think that's why some of Peter's reaction, that the God of the universe, and they haven't even figured all this out yet, but the God of the universe stoops down to wash their dirty and, feet. And Luke 22 tells us they had just been arguing over who was the greatest. Amongst themselves. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and here's the king of glory who's used to angels serving him and worshiping him on his knees in front of these 
guys. That needs to sit on us for a moment. That king, that Jesus, in front of them saying, this is the example. This is what the cross is about, and I've got to do this because this is a check you can't write. And, and Peter, um, Peter doesn't understand, but he's going to. In verse 12, when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet, for I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So Jesus has said, look, he, he's asking them, the, the, you, you understand what I'm done here? Yeah. Right? And, and then he unpacks it even a little bit further. Yeah. Ver, verse them. 12 is so key. Jesus, he gets down, he humbles himself. Philippians 2 tells us he humbles himself eventually to the point of death, even mm-hmm. death on a cross, yeah. even though he was equal with God, right? And verse 12, he steps back and, and he looks at him and he goes, are you getting this? Is this clicking? Hmm. Does this register what I just did for you? Got it? Now go and do likewise. So, so before we ever serve other people, we first must have an understanding of the washing that yeah. Jesus has initiated with us. Yeah. And it's not just this one example. In verse 15, he says, for I've given you an example. Well, the truth is that Jesus has lived this way for his entire life. Jesus has embodied this. His mission is to to come and to save. His mission is to come and to serve, he even says in Mark chapter 10. And he's embodied that throughout his whole life. That's what you can't miss with Jesus. Of the one, the only one who really deserves everyone to fall down at his feet. He's the one throughout his life, right? Think about how he comes. He comes to two teenage parents who are nobodies. He's born in their home, right? He lives 30 years in obscurity. Then in his three years of ministry, he runs from the crowds. Every time they try to make him king, he, he goes the opposite direction. He says, no, 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 that's not what I've come for. Hmm. Everything in his life is moving towards the cross, and therefore everything that he does is really a microcosm of the cross. It's Jesus washing his disciples' feet here. It's Jesus constantly and consistently showing his disciples, this is the way that I'm going, and it's the way you should go also. And, and, and when he says here, um, he gives these things that seem to be obvious, right? A, a servant isn't greater than his master yeah. or a messenger greater than the one who sent. Right? That seems blatantly obvious. Jesus understands we're slow, to, slow on the uptake, right? And, and what he's saying is, um, it, it's one thing to know these things, right? I think this is a danger yeah. we can get into. You know, we get our ESV study Bible and we get our doctrine really tight and we're like, we know it, right? You know who you are. 
But Jesus says that ain't enough. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's not enough to know it. He says, blessed are you if you do these things. Yeah. That, yeah. That's the kind of the point where we drop the ball. If, if, if you didn't grow up in church, we are so glad that you he, are here and hope that this message registers with you. If you did grow up in church, which is my background, there can be a danger to hearing these stories over and over and over again. My guess is we're not presenting a story you're unfamiliar with for most of you. Most of you, you're like, hmm, washing the feet, never heard of that, <laughs> right? So, so most of us are familiar with this text, but, but let me ask you, did you live last week That's as good. if you were washing the feet of those around you? That's good. There were times I did not. And so, Jesus poses the question again, do you understand what I have done to you? If we are not living in a manner as if we are seeking to wash the feet of everyone around us, then the question has to be asked, do we understand the washing of our own feet? Um, I, I think this, if, if we truly, as the church, begin to wash the feet of the people around us as a reflection of the love that God has shown to us, it will revolutionize the world. This sounds trite, right? Oh, wash people's feet. And we're not talking about literal feet washing. We're not about to bring out basins and everyone take their shoes off, right? Don't panic. We're we're talking about an attitude of servant-minded humility. Mm -hmm. We have issues in this country. I don't think this is news to anyone. We have racial issues. What would it look like if we washed the feet of people who don't look like us, who don't dress like us, who don't vote like us? What would it look like if we washed their feet? We have issues with human trafficking in this nation. What would it look like if we went down the street to Atlanta, one of the worst human trafficking hubs in the world, and we washed feet there? What would it look like, we have problems with sexual assault in this nation, if we men and women washed each other's feet? What if all of our life as the church, in in adoption, our church does an incredible job with adoption. Joel, I know you've had a lot to do with that with your family. That is us moving towards our community and saying, we wanna wash your feet. We want to foster your children. We want to adopt them into our own. So, so there is a corporate implication yeah. of the gospel. Don't yeah. miss this. Jesus first moves towards us individually, but it cannot stop there. Vic, you love to say that, that you can't want another yeah. yourself, right? That came as a shock to some of you just now. Yeah. But you can. There's all these commandments that say. There's these commands: love one another, yeah. serve one another, bear with one another's burdens. You cannot want another in a yeah. vacuum. And a lot of times in the church, we've, you know, we say, oh, Jesus, it's just this individual, it's just me and Jesus. Wrong. It's not just you and Jesus. There is a communal aspect to the gospel that is messy, that when you start to one another, it gets uncomfortable. But, but that's the command, really what our posture should be toward, like, just take a moment. Like, look to your left and to your right. Look around, look around you. I want you to actually do that, right? Look around the room. If you're a follower of Jesus, this should be your attitude toward the people you just looked at and maybe mm-hmm. made eye contact with. <laughs> this should be your, your posture. I, I, I'm your slave. My, my goal and my heart and my existence through the, through the power of the Holy Spirit is to serve you and to do whatever I do to make sure your life flourishes and that you're encouraged 
Who would not want to live in that kind of community and be part of that kind of people? And the problem is, I think so often, we're not those kind of people. Exactly. I, some of you guys know my story um, just from being around because several of you were a part of it. In, the, in the, this past fall, my family went through a really difficult season where our daughter got really sick. She spent several weeks in the hospital and um, ended up we're still kind of working on the after effects of that with the feeding tube that she still has. And it was during that season that people just encircled around us. It was amazing. Like I I cried like at several points when like we just got overwhelmed by people loving us, Uh, like giving us money for groceries and like taking care of our kids and just showing up at places to help us. It was incredible. And when you experience that kind of love, you can see how transformative it is. Mm. You can see how that, that doesn't happen everywhere. That doesn't happen except for people who are willing to say, I'll, I'll go above and beyond you know, what, where other people stop. I'll keep going. Because that's the kind of love that Jesus shows us here. Is, is where you know, he had every right to, to stop. He doesn't. Because in this, look at verse um, 18. Let's go back there. I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate his bread lifted his heel against me. I'm telling you this now before it takes place. I already know what's going to happen. One of my inner circle is going to betray me. And he says, I'm telling you this so, so you'll believe that I am. There's a big statement right there where he, he goes back. You know how in the Old Testament God reveals himself? He says, I am. That's my name. That's what Jesus says right here. I'm telling you this. You're going to know what's about to go down because I am. I'm, I'm God showing up right here in this place. And he says, verse 21, after saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit. That word troubled, agony. Look what he's about to say. Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray you. Betray me. He's agonizing over this, that, that, that one of these guys who's lived life with him 24-7, right? I mean, the disciples, the kind of life in which they lived with Jesus was, was like they didn't leave his side. Right. And so when they hear this, the disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. Yeah. They couldn't believe it. One of the disciples whom Jesus loved was reclining at the table close to Jesus. Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. Peter's like, I gotta know. Who is this? He gives him the... Yeah. So John, figure it out. Yeah, so verse 25, so it says, when the disciple leaned back um, against Jesus, that's John, Jesus answered, it is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him, and Jesus said to him, what, are you going, what you are going to do, do quickly. Now no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, this is Judas, went, he went immediately out, and it was night. The... Um Get, get this scene here, right? Because we read this and go, how do they not know what's going on? Right? Can they not hear them talking? So they would have been seated on the floor and the tables would have been, they would have been in a U shape, right? And Jesus would have been at the head of the table and um, there would have been two other tables here and most people believe that it's John to his right 
Yikes. Oh, boy. Yikes. And Judas to his left. Make of that what you will. Um, but here, so here's what's happening. So John is leaning back against Jesus. They've got this intimate relationship because John refers to himself as the, the disciple Jesus loved. And when Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me, Peter, who's Peter, sitting at one of these other spots, goes, John, John, ask him. Like you've been at dinner tables, right, where that happens and you don't know everything that's going on. And so John probably just leans over and goes, yeah. who is it? And, and Jesus gives him that little insight. It's the, when I dip this bread and hand it to him, it's that one. Don't, don't, we cannot miss this. We, we, verse 21, he was troubled. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever been betrayed by somebody close to you, but it, it hurts. It's probably not any pain like that. Know, know this. Jesus knows what that feels like. This is an inner circle. Judas had walked with them for three years. Judas was in that circle of friends, and all of you have this circle that you call at 3 a.m. when you have a flat tire. It's that friend. He's seen the miracles. He's seen the personal, he's personally experienced the love of Jesus. The the love of Jesus, he has seen on full display. And, And even to the end. Remember we read he loved them to yeah. the end. Don't, don't miss this. When Jesus says it's the one I will give this morsel of bread to when I've dipped it. He, the bread which is a picture of his broken body and the, and the cup of wine is a picture of his bloodshed. He dips it and he offers it to Judas. I, it's one last opportunity that Jesus puts in front of Judas and says I love you. Yeah. And Judas turns his back on Jesus. Mm. The last verse, verse 30, after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out. John could have stopped this little section right there, but he adds, and it was night. That's obvious. We already, it's the Passover, right? It's night. Just, we're working through the day. Of course it's night. Why? And this why bothered me for that? like three or four days this week. I'm like, why does John put, and it was night? Mm-hmm. Duh. Doesn't everybody know that? Here's what I think John, John's a brilliant writer. And I think John is one to emphasize this. There, there, there is a night that's worse than darkness outside. Think about this. Judas is sitting in front of the light of the world who has just offered him this meal, and Judas turns his back and walks into the night, the dark night of the soul, away from the one who loves like no one else, who loves Judas the way no one else could or ever would love Judas. And Judas turns his back on that light and walks into the darkness from which he was never gonna recover. Jesus has been saying to them in this example, I'm living the life you couldn't live. I'm dying the death. You should have died. And and because Judas has inched further and further and further away from the light, his step into the darkness was pretty easy. And we'll see later what ultimately happens to Judas. It's tragic. 
And so what, what we want to say to you this morning is the same offer that's going down at that table to Judas is in front of us today. We, we see the disciples and we look at them and we, we, we judge Judas and we go, how can the disciples not know? You know, they, they can, how can they not discern what's going on in Judas's heart? That's not the issue. The issue is can you discern it in your own yeah. heart? Yeah. Where are the places where you're Judas? Because here's what's going to happen. Before we get out of chapter 13, Jesus is going to predict that even Peter will deny him. Because that's the reality. You and I are prone to run, not prone, we are hardwired to run to the darkness. And today, the light of the world sits in front of you and says, come to me out of the darkness. And if you've never done that today, we want you to do that. You just say to Jesus, Jesus, I've been living in the dark. I love the dark, but I want to come to the light where I can be loved in a way that is beyond this world, that is otherworldly, that has no end, that has no expectation. I don't want to be the little fifth grader holding out a card, hoping somebody will love me. Hear this. Jesus loves you and has died for you. And we say it has risen from the grave so that death has no hold on you. You do not have to live in the darkness. Come to the light. Let me pray for us.